Okay. Blake, what's happening, man? It's hey, good we're... To, it's good to be back with you. Yeah, a few again. weeks into the new year, testing out everyone's New Year's resolution. Is everyone keeping up with it? Keeping up with any of your goals? Dude, okay, so you asked me before we got started what I've been up to. And one of my New Year's goals, uh, I, I think we talked about on the last episode, I met with our financial advisor, yeah. financial planner guy, and he basically sent a form um, that he hasn't sent me in a while, and it's basically like a, a budgetary form that you fill out and kind of just kind of gives you a good overall picture. I know I'm preaching to the choir here, mm-hmm. but kind of gives you a picture of uh, all your money that's coming in, all your money that's coming out, where your expenses are, how much money you're spending per month. And it was very eye-opening. I uh, have not been paying attention to it like I should have. And, man, oh, my gosh, it was embarrassing. Like, once we filled it out, basically all the money we had coming in, even though we're making more money than we were, you know, last year or the year before, we're spending more. Yeah. So. Really good point from the Rich Dad, Poor Dad book that we've mentioned several times on this podcast is, um, you know, just because you get more money coming in doesn't necessarily fix your financial problems. A lot of mm-hmm. people have that misconception. And um, certainly having the more money coming in, we were, just, like, we were basically breaking even almost. Yes. Like it was, it was horrible. And I thought <laughs> in my head, I'm like, yeah, I'm putting money in my savings. But then we would have to dip into it, pull it back out, to, like pay for things and stuff. And so... Uh, my New Year's resolution was to like get our finances like on the right track. Just basically small things, nothing crazy. Um, you know, we had a little bit of credit card debt, so I got that paid off. Nice. Uh, basically went through. We were talking about Disney Plus earlier mm-hmm. and some other just subscription-based things that you kind of forget about. You know, and once I added it all up, I think at the end of it, you know, we uh, we went over our our home insurance and basically we were covered everything under one policy or under one insurance company bundled you know went through that uh went through and cleared out a bunch of subscriptions that were automatically drafting from our account every month Mm -hmm. um stuff that we weren't really using so no real changes to our lifestyle but like i think basically it ended up saving us like a whole mortgage payment per year that's awesome or close to it close to it so it was significant savings (laughs) without any real change to like our day-to-day and what we're doing you know we're cutting back on like we were obviously spending a little more than we should on like eating out and trying to dial that back a little bit and um, just buying lunches every day man it's Mm -hmm. crazy just thinking about all the money that you spend so more conscious about it just being more conscious about my personal finances um our personal finances mine and my wife's and uh so i'm pretty proud we've made some good strides in the past couple weeks and um yeah so that's about the biggest that's awesome. thing that's been on my, you know, new year, you know, we're still in the first month of the new year. So, yeah. uh, yeah, it's been cool. My and, favorite uh, is the, there's an app that on social media that keeps on blowing up on advertising to me that it's like, sign up for our subscription and we will help you reduce the amount of script subscriptions you have. <laughs> it's yeah. like, wait a minute. Sounds, sounds counterintuitive. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I've got a, a good friend anytime that he's like, Hey, what are y'all doing tomorrow? And I was like, Oh, we're, we got a date night. We're going to eat at Helen, which is one of the expensive oh, yeah. restaurants downtown. Super he's expensive. like, Oh, lifestyle creep. And it's like, all right, you're, you're making more. So you start spending more. And, and yeah. we kind of joke back and forth, like, Oh, uh, you, you're making more. So you're going to spend more. So it is being like, and, and I'm, we're, we're not great at it. I mean, I'd, Obviously, to understand the principles and then execute them in your own life are two different things. And, and Rachel and I fully understand it, but neither of us are, neither of us love to sit down and our, our strengths are not attention to the detail. Yeah. And so, man, we're the same way. And that's something we're actually one of our goals as, as a family is 
to get that more in line like you and Katie have done. So that's awesome. Man, that's that's a huge step because people ignore it. Lifestyle creep. That's, yeah. That's a pretty good term. I haven't <laughs> heard that. But, yeah, man, it's just like, you know, you get raises or you start making a little extra income somewhere else and you just kind of elevate your spending, yeah. you know, and it can get out of control. And, and the biggest thing for us, um, credit, comp- credit card companies are like evil in my opinion (laughs) yeah but uh you know we had set up our credit card to auto draft every month so it pays off within 30 days and Mm -hmm. uh, you don't incur any interest yep um the downside to that is uh man it racks up and i got so used to that being auto drafted at the end of the month it just became like another normal bill yeah and to have that like kind of dialed back in and um not having that come out at the end of the month, it's like, man, we have all this extra money in our checking account. This is a crazy. And uh, so it's a good feeling. Yeah. yeah. You got to watch out for the lifestyle creep. Um, that's one thing we tell our, our real estate clients is, you know, sit down with a financial advisor if you have not put that budget together and just put it together. Not really it's asking not you fun. to. It's, it's no it's fun. It's not. To do you know, that, no, one, like, no one seeks out to do that activity. Yeah. But if it provides you, you know, an extra five, 10 grand a year that you could save and now, Okay, well, we can turn that into a rental property. Now we're, we're making an extra 20 grand. Now, you know, it's just compounded. So yeah. um, that's awesome, man. Congrats. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. So, yeah. What's been going on with you since uh, the last time we talked? Yeah, so following, so talking about yearly goals, you know, I break that down into quarterly. Um, so we had uh, wanted to increase $2,500 a month of passive income to our life, wanted to gain at least one agent on my realtor team. Um, and, uh, both of those things are in full force. Uh, we had actually had an agent join a couple of weeks ago, like first week of the year, which was awesome. I was like, man, I, I hit that goal quick. Maybe I need to maybe jump it to two because now, you know, I, I had activities I was going to do all quarter to, to go towards that. And it's like, well, I don't want to just sit back and ignore them now. Um, so we had, had an agent join and then, um, you know, increasing that income from three different avenues, um, more buying more property that is cash flowing, um, make the properties we have more efficient, make them a little more profitable by just paying attention to, to maintenance and vacancies and, and different things like that. Um, and that third one is adding an agent on my team. So obviously, well, you said adding an agent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so adding an agent on my team, getting them in, um, and then buying more property and then making more our properties more efficient. Okay. So it's like yeah, not all just on the investment side, but just our lifestyle as a whole. Uh, and really in, in addition to that, Rachel's starting her own, her own PT clinic. And so that's, um, probably not in the first quarter going to be bringing, money in but you know this year oh i didn't know about that that's cool yeah we haven't really hadn't really gotten into that too much um Uh, your wife is a physical therapist and so she's she's a physical therapist she's been with one company for almost eight years in town um doing neuro so like uh brain injury spine injury um that kind of stuff so so neurological like learning how to walk again after a a traumatic brain injury sure Uh, a lot smarter than i will ever be yeah but Uh, she kind of got burnt out on that, uh, loves the patient care, but just kind of the politics of the hospital, and, and she was just kind of falling apart on. And so um, she went part-time probably two and a half years ago uh, and liked that balance because there's a little less of the day-to-day management and more just about show up, do the patient care. But um, as of six months ago, she found out she had a tongue tie, which is something usually is taken care of like at birth. Like, mm. and, and she had a, a lip tie. I've learned all, this is all like brand new to me. I didn't know what any of this meant. Uh, it's called a phrenectomy when you have it cut. And mm. so she had the lip one done when she was like seven, but she never knew um, that she had a tongue tie. 
And so, and it leads to, it's, it's wild, all the stuff that it leads to, but she's, she's cracked three teeth in her sleep from grinding her teeth. She has, you know, borderline sleep apnea and stops breathing in her sleep and just all, all of these issues associated. Tied to that issue. It all comes back to the tongue tie. It's wild. Wow. And then you can do physical therapy for it. Um, and then if, you know, in preparation for the surgery um, or in, in mild cases, just to completely overcome it and not have to do the surgery. Um, she's seen the benefits and so she's gone through the courses to get extra certifications and being able to do it. And she's going to open up her own clinic. That's like not just the tongue tie PT, but TMJ, like jaw issues and, and everything here. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's a new new endeavor. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Launching this year and I'm pumped, man, because from, you know, I'm I'm on the business side. I love, love the business side. And from the day she graduated, I've, I've been wanting her to, like let's open a clinic let's, yeah, let's dive in thing. i know nothing about you know the medical world but um i think i can run a business and so so finally she she's diving in and just fired up about it so, okay so yeah. well what's going on in the real estate world this is a real estate podcaster yeah yeah real estate world um so we're flipping that one house in bluff park and i uh, we, we can throw this up on the screen i've got to show you this picture i was over there yesterday we started got our permits uh two days ago and started demolition and one of the guys pulls up. We'll, we'll throw this picture up on uh, on the screen here. But it's, okay, looks like a little Honda Civic, I guess. It's a, a Honda Odyssey. So it's a minivan. Oh, okay. But look okay. what's on, yeah, on yeah. top. You got a light bar. So that just says, "I'm that, a family man from Alabama." I guess. I guess so. <laughs> or maybe he's trying to take this thing off roading or yeah, something. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. I pulled it. I was like, "Man, I got to take a picture. Of this. this is wild." Um, <laughs> so demolitions going on. Um, got our permits you know we'll just go through the whole whole process of trying to get it fixed up and uh, because it's next door on our, our what we kind of dubbed friend street where we've moved 18 of our friends trying to get the 19th one in, into this house and get them real close to us so okay awesome yeah, so pretty excited about that cool um so one, one of the things i wanted to bring up that's kind of a hot topic in the real estate investment world and, and realtors get asked this a lot of times is about a 1031 exchange and so uh, have you ever heard of one of those? I have not. Okay. Have you Sounds heard? Sounds similar to like a 1099, which is yeah, a tax form, yeah. but no, I, I don't. Um, I'm not so familiar. you've probably heard, hey, real estate's a great investment because of all the tax incentives, right? Like that's kind of a common thing, but like what are the tax incentives? Sure. One of them is called a 1031 exchange, and now I want to go through just my own experience with it and knowledge um, with the caveat that I'm not a tax advisor or an attorney or a CPA, so I'm sure there's there's stuff that I don't know about it, but... Um, it's basically a way to defer the taxes when you sell a property so you don't have to pay a gain on, on that profit. And so, But there's like a, a caveat to that. You're using that gain, the money that you get from selling that property to roll into a new property. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, okay, yeah, so maybe I know a little yeah, bit about Yeah, absolutely. It. So that's what it is. So you, you sell, let's say you got, well, I'll, I'll use our own example, very first property you ever bought was a condo in Hoover. We paid $32,000 for it. Um, we put 12 into it, so we're 44 all in. We rented it for a year and then uh, went and sold it. I think we sold it for right at like 100000 right? So we had a, after closing costs, let's call it an even $50,000 profit. $50,000 profit. Okay. Um, now, if I just said, great, we sold it. Let me take the capital gains tax at, I don't, I don't know what it had been, 30% on that. Wow. I would have lost, you know, a good amount of money. Yeah, and then, almost half. Yeah. That's crazy. And then, you know, I would, have, I would have made some money, but it wouldn't have been as good. So the 1031 exchange allows you to take 
principal and profit. So not just the 50 that we made, but the 44 we put into it. And we take all of that, or, or 50 if we're talking about closing costs, but the, the net gain, or the, or the net sale price, excuse me, we, we take all that and that is rolled into another property. And that's a common misconception that I didn't understand. I thought it was just a gain. Like we, just that 50 we roll in, we get our principal back and we do whatever we want with it. But it's the whole, the whole bucket. So, okay, so you invest 40,000 in. Mm-hmm. Let's just keep it, you know, nice yeah, simple numbers. numbers. Uh, 40,000 in, you sell it for 90,000 or 100,000. Uh, you make 50,000. Um, so you have $50,000 in your pocket mm-hmm. that you can then roll into another property. But well, it, when we sell it, we've got, because it was all cash. We didn't mortgage it. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, sorry, okay. Did, so you're getting out. all the money that you put in yep. back as well. I got gotcha. you. Yep. I got gotcha. um, you. But you're not allowed to touch that money. So it has to go to an intermediary um, or a, a qualified intermediary. Oh, it doesn't just go to your bank account? No, it's like, this, I promise I'm going to put yeah, this yeah, in another property. Yeah. The second it goes to your account or you touch that money, you can't do a 1031 okay. exchange. So you have to set up, and, and we use, um, I think it's called I, IPX out of Tennessee, um, and we can put the guy's kind, Luke Haynes, I believe is, is my guy's name. We've used him two or three times, um, but it's awesome. You know, there's no, no fee to get it set up and go, and they just take a, a fee, which was less than 1000 bucks, I think, at the time. Um, just to, to hold to, your money. To hold it up. So it goes to them, and then you've got, there's time parameters on when you have to turn it around. So, so we close, let's say we've got, you know, for, for your numbers, 90 grand sitting with Luke up in Tennessee is where he's based out of. And we've got 45 days to identify a property to put it into. Okay. Just identify. Just identify. And then we're locked into that after 45 days that that's, you know, we can give them a list and there's, and there's three different uh, rules around or, or ways to, to identify. And then after you identify after that 45 days, you got 180 days to close on it. Okay. And as long as you meet those timelines and a couple other stipulations we can talk about, then that just rolls into the next one. So what we did, Luke held that money, and then we found a house in Bluff Park on Shades Crest Road that uh, we bought. So we identified it. It was just one property, uh, and we closed on it with those funds. So we bought, I'm trying to try to remember my numbers here, but I believe we bought that one for 160 And this was six, seven years ago. Um, bought it for 160 so... Um, and we got a renovation loan on it, so it wasn't all cash. So we used that, we had to use that money. So had, let's say, call it 90. Um, that was our quote down payment. And then we went to a bank that would give us a, a construction loan, and they'll give us 80% of the after repair value. And so we've got construction plan, and we were going to flip this house. Um, well, actually, let, let me back up. We were going to purchase this house to rent it for at least a year and then flip it because you cannot do a 1031 exchange on a property with the intent of flipping property. Like it has to be on a, like a property a with the intent to hold. That's something. right. Okay. So that's why we, we rented. And actually, I don't even think I knew this at the time, but we, because we rented that condo for the first year and we hit that year mark and the intent was to rent it, then we decided to sell. Then we were able to use a 1031 exchange. And so you can't just go flip 20 properties a year and just 1031 exchange 20 times. It's okay. The rule, it's not there for that. That's what I thought. It's like, man, you just, you know, work your way up yeah. to like a when I giant it, mansion. I yeah. Know. I learned this recently. The, the, the origin of the 1031 exchange came, I don't know what year, way back when, when the government would try to incentivize farmers to scale up to bigger farms to produce okay. more. And so that's. I, that was my next question. Yeah, well, like, what is the incentive to offer this yeah. exchange in the first place? Well, the incentive, so for us, 
um, let's say we sold that first one, we made 50 grand, and we just, 1031 exchange didn't exist. We would have lost 30%. 30% of that 50, so that's 30% less we would have to put down on the next property. Okay. Because even if we had, let's pretend it wasn't cash, let's say we mortgaged the purchase and renovation, so we mortgaged 40 grand, we still have to go purchase for at least 90,000 because mm -hmm. that was the principal plus interest. And so if I've, regardless, so, so that would take out 30% of it, so it would just lessen my purchase power by 30% on the next one. Yeah. And so the government wants you to, the government realizes professional real estate investors are better at investing in real estate than they are. And so they, the incentive is, hey, y'all keep more of your money we're not canceling it. We're just deferring it. Deferring your, and, your tax payment. Yeah, and you yeah. keep more of it continuing to put more money into the economy, and we're going to put time parameters and make sure you do it consistently. Then, um, you know, if it's construction, then we, you know, maybe we wouldn't have bought that Shadescrest Roadhouse if we didn't have that incentive. And so that's, you know, a bunch of construction trades that would not have had work. That's the bank that didn't get to lend money. So Overall boost to the economy. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. exactly. So that, that's the idea of it is they, they realize it can be boost the economy if they give that tax incentive. And, and so in our case, it, I feel like it did. So we bought that. Um, I think we were at 160. We did construction loans uh, and the after repair value. It's going to be around 300. So the bank would lend 80% um, of 300, which is 240, right? And... Um, and, and I, we, our construction numbers all in weren't going to be more than 240, right? Mm -hmm. So we put the 90 in that we had to, and then the bank funded the remaining, uh, renovation and everything that we did. And then, uh, we rented it for a year and then sold it for, um, I think 335, 340, something around there. And then, so we were in the same spot. And so, so you can do that again. Yep. Okay. And so then we had, you know, the profit from that one that we had to go reinvest. But not only the profit from that one, we still had the 90 from the original one that we deferred. So it doesn't go away. So now we had the profit from Shades Crest Road. So then it just compounds. Yeah. And so, then, okay. and, and so it's cool because it allows you to get into bigger, it forces you into getting bigger and bigger and bigger properties. Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, we could have gone and bought a $30,000 condo, but then all the money that we did not use, we would have been taxed on. That's what the next question. Let's say that you do the the exchange, you buy a property, then after that first year, you keep renting it for an indefinite amount of time. Mm -hmm. At what point do you then start paying taxes on that profit from the first sale? Never. If you keep it forever and then you die, this is my understanding, and, and someone correct me if I'm wrong, but this is my understanding. If you just defer, 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 and then die, all of the deferred taxes go away and your heirs get the property without. What? Isn't that awesome? That so cool. you, so under that. So you're not leaving it with a giant tax burden. Hey, here's this house, yeah, but I've been yeah. deferring payments yeah, for 30 years. So. Here's a $500,000 house, and there's $10 million <laughs> of taxes to be paid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good okay. luck. Um, but the cool thing is, and we did this on the next property, so we rolled it into another property that we bought in Hueytown that we still own. So there's a ton of cash sitting in this property. You can refinance it without getting taxed because it's not a taxable event is what they call like a sale. Okay. So here that's like, people don't like the term loophole, but it, that's the loophole mm. is I can recognize my gains by refinancing and getting that cash and not getting taxed on it. 
as long as you keep that property. As long as I keep that property it. and don't have a taxable event, which is a sale. A sale. And so that, that one's a long-term hold for us. It's a rental. It has, even though we put debt on it, we, we refinanced it, basically pulled our ca cash out refi, pulled our cash out, put debt on it. So now our cash flow is lower because we have to pay a monthly mortgage. We took all that cash out. And now we can go do whatever we want with that cash. Yeah. We can wow. sit on it. We can go buy a Lamborghini. We can go, you know, buy a 10-unit apartment complex. That's awesome. Um, and so the 10-unit apartment complex is what we did. Mm. So we bought uh, in North Birmingham. Uh, and this is where you can get in trouble is uh, I am uh, – I did not plan ahead on those 45 days seems like enough time. It goes by fast. And especially if to you're be going plugged into another property yeah, and after commit the sale to it. of the first property. And commit to it. Because if you don't in those forty five days, you get Yeah, taxed. what does it mean to when you say identify? You property? you've officially submit like this these are the I'm properties. trying to buy this. Yes. It's not just like, hey, look at that one. Yep. Cool. And if you and if you can't, if it falls apart, you're getting taxed. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. So it's like so it's a hard forty five days. Yeah, oh it yeah. is. Yeah. Wow. And and it can be like, all right, I'm gonna put well, so let, let's go down. I got my notebook so I can, I can get this right. But um, you've got three different ways um, to identify, basically. So you've got um, the, the three property rule is, is the most common. So you can put up to three properties of any value and um, identify those within the 45 days and then close on um, the three, at, at least one that you identify. All right, so um, let's say you, you've got uh, $100,000 you've got to reinvest and you go identify three different $150,000 properties um, on day 35. Well, on day 41, one of them doesn't work. You can just drop it off the list. Updated list. I'm still not at day 45. Here are the two. And then you've got, uh, you hit day 45, you've got 180 days to close on those. Okay. Okay. So, so that's, that's about, not closing in the 45 days. Nope, it's nope. just like yeah, just initiating identify. the purchase. Just identify. Um, and that's the most popular one. That's the one that really I knew about. I learned about these other two just recently. Um, and I, I, I have not done a 1031 since I've learned about these, which I don't know if I would have used them or not, but it, now it's good to know. And hopefully this helps somebody. But the second one is the 200% rule. All right. And you can name as many properties as you want. You can name 100 properties if you want, but the value, collective value of those properties cannot exceed 200% of your net sale of the first property. So that $90,000, you couldn't have a million dollars worth of property yeah. that you're identifying. I could only have 180. 180. But it could be 10 different $18,000 homes. Yeah. Right? Okay. And so that's a way to get into smaller, cheaper properties. I was about to say, can you, you use it for the purchase of multiple mm -hmm. smaller properties? Yep. With yeah, that yeah. Versus one, it's like, oh, I kind of keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yep. It's like, well, why don't I just diversify and buy five small yeah. homes? Yeah, you totally could. Isn't one it? giant mansion in yeah. Mountain Brook or something. So for that second rule, as long as it doesn't go over 200% of that net sale price. Um, now, the third rule, and, and this one is pretty wild, but it's called the 95% rule. And you can identify, again, as many properties as you want. There's no cap on value. You could name $30 million of property on across 200 units, um, but you have to close on 95% of them. In that 180, in, 180 yeah. days after you the You got to identify them in 45, and you have to close on 95% of what you identify in 180 days. Yeah. So to me, that's like, that is so risky. Yeah. Because... You talk about, all right, you're under contract. 
you've got 180 days to close and let's say you go through inspection and then you're negotiating with the seller. If that seller finds out that you're doing a 1031 exchange, you have, he jacked the price up? You have no leverage, right? Yeah. You have zero leverage. So let's say uh, the inspection comes up with a $10,000 sewer problem and you're trying to negotiate that and the seller finds out that you're doing 1031 exchange, you're going to get like, a huge eh, your tax problem. bill. Yeah, he's like, I'm not doing it. You lose all your leverage. So it's like, all right, I can't let anyone know. Is that know. public knowledge? No, no, it's not. No, okay, it's not. so he can't um, just go down to the local. It, he'll find out before, or she, the seller will find out before closing um, just because of probably on the closing docs, it'll have like an intermediary name on there. So if they're really doing their research, but all that information usually comes out after, way after a negotiating period. Okay. Um, so eventually I find out. Now that's good to know. And, and having that is like, I, I need to keep my leverage because a lot of people, and I hear agents say, Hey, I've got an investor. He's, he's in a 1031. We got to find something. I'm like, man, you're just giving, you're like showing your cards. So you don't just give it out there like that. Yeah, well, I don't. Yeah. Um, but agents who I think don't really understand how it all works, they're like giving up that leverage. I'm like, oh, well, okay, I'll try to find a property. Like, let me, let me sell something to you because <clears throat> that's best case for my seller because your guy's in a spot. Like he has to close on something or he's going to get a big tax bill. Yeah. So, um, all so, right, so the little key point there, anybody listening, uh, don't show your cards. Yeah, yeah. But 10, doing so it, I love it, man. 1031 is a great way that, um, you know, investors can defer a lot of tax and, and just build that compounding growth in their real estate portfolio um, by using that tool. How many times have you used the exchange? Three times. Three times. Mm -hmm. Okay, now did you do those? You mentioned the one that um, after the first year of renting it, you then mm -hmm. sold it mm -hmm. and then took the gains from that sale and basically just did it again. Yep. Um, the other two times, did you do that same approach or are those mm -hmm. long holds? Yeah, so it was uh, the condo into Shades Crest, and that was the first one. Shades Crest into Hueytown, that was the second one. Oh, okay, so the yeah, same yeah, lump of money yeah. just moving. Yeah, three but you got to do times. it each. Yeah, you got to okay. like execute a 1031 every time that you have that, um, that taxable event, if you will. Okay. A lot so, of jargon going on, so yeah, I'm yeah. slow to follow. Yeah, well, yeah. Have a little uh, dictionary. So Shades Crest Road sell, taxable event, 1031 exchange, bought Hueytown, and then Hueytown. Um, Actually, maybe, maybe we've only done two because Hueytown, we still own, we refied, okay. and then bought the 10 unit. So the refinance um, doesn't count as a, tax, a taxable yeah. event. Okay. And, you know, that's not right because the, we had a 1031 going in. See, this is where I need, I need my, uh, my calendar to see timelines. This was a couple years ago. But we, I know we had a 10. Maybe we went into the 10 unit after Shades Crest Road because I know we had a timeline because we effectively somewhat overpaid for that 10 unit. Be, just to avoid just to paying avoid the, the gains okay. and and that's a a tricky game because it's like at what point is it not worth it is it at what point yeah. should you just pay the gain we paid 400 for that 10 unit and um it in my opinion it was worth it based off of what we would have paid on a gain standpoint but it was overpaying just like if i didn't have a 1031 exchange i would have never paid 400 like it's mm. probably worth closer to 350 Oh, okay. Um, but, but the taxes on the exchange would have been higher than that $50,000 that yep. you paid over. Yeah. yeah. And, and the idea was to keep this 10 unit forever, let it cash flow. And so since then, we've, we've renovated nine of the 10 units. We've put in anywhere from two to $7,000 per unit. Um, I think we've put in about 80 grand into it. So we've, we're in at 480. And just as of last month, this has been a long time coming, just as of last month, all of them are leased up. It's like cash flowing great. And it's gotten to the point where it's quote unquote stabilized. Mm. And so now our next move would be get the bank to evaluate it, refinance, 
pull that cash back out and recycle it. And so let's go find something else. Yeah. Um, and so what you can invest in is it's got to be a like kind property is uh, what the official rules say. And it's basically any property that's used for investment purposes. And so you can't do it and go buy Bitcoin. You're going to get taxed. Okay. Yeah. That's you true. can't invest in art. You're going to get taxed. But I can sell a 10 unit apartment complex and go buy the building that Sneaky Pizza's in. Right. Or I can go buy um, an office building or a self storage unit or um, a condo. Right. It's all property is being purchased for the intent for investment use. Mm -hmm. And so, and as long as your taxes back that up, you're writing it as an, as an investment property, then, then you're on point. Um, well, I'm trying to keep all this in my head, you know, you're throwing a lot of terms and stuff at me, but I kind of understand the principle. Mm -hmm. Um, one question that I had was, uh, when you, well, I lost it. Let me think about it for a second. When you bought the condo, um, you deferred the exchange. How long before when you, when you purchase a new property with that deferred tax money, can you refinance? Can you do it immediately, or is there a timeline on that? I know you know you had to rent it for a year before you could sell it. Mm -hmm. Is there a timeline on when you can do a refinance? That's a good question. Um, I, I don't know. I I don't think so because the the purchase the ten thirty one process has been executed. Yeah. So I think you can do it fairly quick. I think. Um, for us, we've waited a little bit, so the prop because everything we've bought, the next property we've bought always had a, a value add component, mm -hmm. and so like that ten unit as an example, it's worth a lot more than the four eighty we've got in it because we've we've been able to raise rents and renovate it. Well. So it's, there's no incentive to do it immediately because you need to you know, well put potentially. Some love so into if it, you yeah. buy the sneaky Pete's that has the tenant in there and you just buy the building they're renting from you and they've got a fifteen year lease and there's no improvements to increase cash flow that increases the value, then might as well do it as quick as possible so you can pull that cash and refinance. But there's nothing it, holding you back from doing that. I don't believe so. Okay. Yeah, okay. because the 1031, 1031 exchange is over, and so then like, like it's been completed, you've done it, you've used it. So from their eyes, it's like, okay. Cool. You're, you're good. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then so... Another component of that is is the depreciation component. So when you get a property, uh, at least a single family, you can depreciate the house over 27 and a half years on your taxes. So if it's worth, it's going to be more math than I can do in my head, but if it's worth $100,000, you can depreciate um, one twenty-seventh and a half of that every year on your taxes and get that tax benefit. And that money is due to just the maintenance and upkeep cost of owning a home is the idea? Yes, yeah, the guess. idea of it. The cool part is when you get into, um, I don't know if you can do this in single family, but at least in big commercial and, and multifamily, it's, it's more common to see there, but it's called a cost segregation study. And I've never done one of these. We're, we're looking into it because we just bought that bigger commercial building, but it basically accelerates that depreciated rate. And so... If, if, you know, the building says the life of it is depreciable in, in 30 years or 27 and a half years, well, the components inside it would go a lot quicker than that. Sure, especially like, if you have multiple tenants, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe that hasn't. Yeah, well, so the landscaping is not going to hold up for 27 and a half years. The paint, well, you're going to have to repaint the cabinets. So what a cost segregation study does is come in and separate, um, you know, what's the a schematic of like when you see a, uh, an engine, it's like all blown up and you see every part of it. Yeah, an exploded view is what yeah, we call an exploded it. View. Yeah. So it like gives you an exploded view of the property and says, okay, the land's worth this. 
and that you're not going to have to do anything to it. So it's, it's the highest number. The building, the foundation, the, the sticks, the concrete, that's all going to take a while to depreciate. That, that number's staying high. But the electrical, the plumbing components, the cabinets, the paint, the sheetrock, the light fixtures, the plumbing, they, they give you an exploded view and, and assign a valuation for all of those things on how long it'll depreciate over time. So it may be quicker than the 127th. Yeah, and, and, and there's actually a, a rule that I think Trump put into place that now is, is being reversed um, that is 100% of those portions, like your, your faucets, your paint, your sheetrock, 100% of that value can be depreciated in year one. Really? Yeah. What's which the incentive is, there? So you don't pay um, tax gains. So this, so this is how, and, and this, when, when people are like making millions and millions of dollars buying hundreds of millions of dollars of, of investment property a year, this is like a huge way that they show minimal income on their taxes is because they say, all right, if I've got $100,000 property, the land's worth 50, the building's worth 20, and I've got $30,000 of um, things that I can bonus Bossets depreciate. And, and stuff that yep. just, yeah. So that's 30 grand that I can write off as a loss year on one. On day one, day or year one. one, yeah. Year one on my taxes, if I made 40 grand this year, I can count 30 of it as a loss. So I'm only taxed on a $10,000 gain. Wow. And, but, but take that into like huge numbers. And, and so if you're doing multiple properties, you can have, man, I only made a million dollars this year, but I've got $2 million of losses. I can show a loss and pay zero taxes when I actually made a million dollars this year. Yeah. And so that's where you, you hear of like the uber wealthy. That's one of the many tools. One of the use. ways they're hanging on to their wealth. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's so cool. So one of the things that is coming in and new policies to kind of phase that out is uh, next year it's going to only, you can only use 80% of it in the first year instead of 100%, and then I think it's going down to 60 the year after, and then 40, and then they're, they're trying to phase it out, mm. um, which, you know. So, so for us, like, I really want to do it. I want to try it at least once uh, and do it in this commercial property we just bought because we paid 850 for it, and I feel like the depreciable, uh, the bonus depreciation is what it's called that we could get out of it could be pretty significant and offset. Any, but you'd have to do it this year. We would have to do it this year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, good luck. Yeah, thanks. Well, we'll stay tuned. What does that look like? You just get like a somebody to, like you said, to so you come hire, in and yeah, assess it. You and can hire a firm, and this is why I don't know. Again, I don't know if you can do it on single family, but this probably is why, if you can, people don't, is because you hire a firm, and it's going to cost a couple thousand dollars to do so that. Is the money offset really worth right. it? Yeah. Um, and there's there's sites that you can pay, you know, only fifteen hundred or less than two thousand dollars to do it yourself. But then it's like you don't have a professional, so if it's ever audited or challenged, then you got to be able to back up everything you came up with, and yeah. I'm all about outsourcing people smarter than me to do things that sure. Have, so, all right. Well, good information. Yeah, I'm gonna have to think on that for a little while. Let it soak in. But yeah, a little technical, the- more more technical podcast that we went into this time. But it's some really cool tools that um, if people have questions. Reach out to me, and I'll put you in touch with the people who do know more than me. Yeah, uh, I'm definitely not the expert on it, but um, I'm connected to them, and so that's it's a big benefit in this world. Ten thirty one exchanges. Cool. Good to know. Thanks. Till next time. Till next time.